Samuel, 1924. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had neither dressed his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. And it came to pass, when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon, and go with the king, because thy servant is lame. And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet that I should cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I say, Thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all. For as much as my lord the king is come in peace unto his own house. We all probably know uh, how frequently in novels and in movies flashbacks are employed. Uh, I think they use the term often lately backstory, the backstory. There is a backstory to this portion of God's word that we have just read about Mephibosheth, and I need to set that backstory before you this morning to kind of <clears throat> put us on our right course. It's in chapter 16 when David was fleeing from Absalom, fleeing from Jerusalem. We read, and when David was a little past the top of the ascent, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and a hundred of summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, The asses are for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as are faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, And where is thy master's son? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abideth at Jerusalem. For he said, Today will the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, thine is all that pertaineth unto Mephibosheth, and Ziba said, I do obeisance. Let me find favor in thy sight, my lord, O king. <clears throat> there was this accusation made by Ziba, slandering Mephibosheth, slandering his behavior, setting this narrative before the king. David was coming back. 
after Absalom had been slain and, and the battle was over and he was being brought back to Jerusalem to regain his throne. And now this incident has to be dealt with. And it's kind of a, what we might call today a he said, she said sort of a thing. Or in this case, a he said, he said situation. Ziba had declared one thing. Mephibosheth declares another. Well, what's the problem that we find here? At the outset in the 16th chapter when David made a, a decision based upon Ziba's account of what Mephibosheth had done and said. David made a decision from only one source, did he not? He had the source, he had the account of Mephibosheth's real or supposed actions and activities. And what did David do? Did he declare that he needed two or three witnesses as the scriptures declare? Ziba, Ziba had spoken evil of Mephibosheth. Was it true? The writer of Proverbs says in 1816, I don't mean 1816 the year, I mean in chapter 18, verse 16 says, a man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. A man's gift. Now it's not concealed or not even attempted to be concealed that the writer in this case likely Solomon, but under inspiration from God the Holy Spirit, is talking about bribes, bribery. Says that a man's gift, a man's bribe, we could say, makes room for him and brings him before great men. It's the gift, it's the bribe that gets the door opened unto great men. Was David, in fact, influenced by Ziba's gifts that he brought? The asses and all the provisions that we just read of. The food and the wine and the animals for them to ride upon. Had David permitted himself to be bribed? Consider, if you will, with me the language of John in chapter 7. Verse 45 through 51. We read in these words in John's Gospel, 745, the officers therefore came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, the Pharisees, to these officers, why did ye not bring him? Why did ye not bring this rabbi? Why did ye not bring this one that is stirring up all the people? Why did ye not bring him? And the officers answered, never man so spake. Never has anyone spoken like this man. This was a testimony to Jesus Christ of these officers of the priests. Never have we heard anyone speak like this. The Pharisees therefore answered them, are ye also led astray? Well, in a sense, Christ has led many astray, hasn't he? That is astray from their sin. That is astray 
from false teachers, astray from Pharisees. But this multitude that knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus, you remember the one that <clears throat> went to Jesus at night in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was among those Pharisees. He was one of them. And he said unto them, Doth our law judge a man except it first hear from himself and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Are you, are you in cahoots with this Galilean? Are you also of Galilee? But Nicodemus was speaking truth, asking the question. And these Pharisees were supposed to be the upholders, the scholars, the teachers of the law. And Nicodemus simply applied this thing to themselves. Doth our law judge a man except it first hear from himself? and know what he doeth? You're going to take this testimony that you've heard, some kind of hearsay, you're not going to ask this individual himself, you're not going to hear from him. And Nicodemus probably refers, although the law is stated in a number of places, but he could be referring to Deuteronomy, the book of the law, Deuteronomy, in chapter 13, at verse of 12, we could read, 13, 12. Listen to what God has said in Deuteronomy 13, 12 that applies here. If thou shalt hear tell concerning one of thy cities which Jehovah thy God giveth thee to dwell there, saying, Certain base fellows have gone out from the midst of thee and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which ye have not known. Then shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently and behold, if it be truth and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in the midst of thee, thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of the city with the edge of the sword. But what is the counsel of God here through Moses? What does God tell the people? He tells them here, then thou shalt inquire Thou shalt make search. Thou shalt ask diligently of these things before you do anything. If you do that and it's discovered that the truth has been spoken, then smite that city with the edge of the sword. But first, inquire. Make search. Ask diligently. Not one witness only. Not just one witness only, but make search. And ask diligently. And we have to ask, did David do this? We have no indication that David did anything of the sort. David simply took Ziba's word, one witness. And he turned around and he blessed Ziba, we might say. And he gave to him all the properties that had, that had been given to Mephibosheth earlier on by David. Because of his relationship, David's relationship with the father of Mephibosheth, Jonathan, the son of Saul. David listened to one witness. There's a lesson here for us. And we think, of course, about the reference in John 7 and how Christ was treated. How our Lord Jesus Christ who himself is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, and how he was treated. And they didn't even inquire of him. And when they were trying him, 
they gathered up some witnesses to satisfy this law, perhaps, in their own minds and hearts, these wicked men. They concocted a lie. And they ultimately crucified the Lord of glory, the Lord of truth, with a lie. But we read also in the scriptures, God did not behave himself this way. God also set example by his own actions. He didn't behave himself this way. But he himself made search. He asked diligently, if we can put it that way, in Genesis 11, the case of the city of Babel and the tower that those folk were about to build or they were attempting to build. And we read there in Genesis 11, we read, and they said in verse 4, Come, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. God heard this testimony, if I can put it that way, but what is his response? And Jehovah came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. He came down himself. He made search. He inquired diligently. Even God keeps the, this law. He gives us good example. And in the case uh, somewhat later on, the case of Sodom and Gomorrah. What do we read about Sodom and Gomorrah? We read in chapter 19 of Genesis, or 18 rather, at verse 20. And Jehovah said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I'm going to pour out fire and brimstone upon them, and I'm going to destroy them. No, that's not what he said. That's not what he did. He said in 21, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. Did David do any such thing with regard to the tale that Ziba gave to him? Maybe Mephibosheth did behave that way. Maybe, maybe Ziba's account is true. But David didn't inquire. He didn't ask diligently. Terribly poor judgment on the part of David. Terribly poor. God didn't behave this way and God hasn't taught us to respond this way. We find in the New Testament evidences that God requires two or three witnesses. And even if, even if something is true, that doesn't give us license, let me just say in passing, to go run off at the mouth and tell that story everywhere. We're not to do that either. That's called gossip. But here David is guilty of poor judgment. And we read in the book of Proverbs directions with regard to these things. Very pointed, unmistakable, I believe, references 
in Proverbs 18 at verse 13. He that giveth answer before he heareth. Is that not David? Did he hear from Mephibosheth? No. He that giveth answer before he heareth, it is folly and shame unto him. And he goes on in verse 15, the writer of Proverbs. The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear, the ear of the wise, seeketh knowledge. The ear. Again, echoing what he had just said, that he that giveth answer before he heareth, he tells him now, give ear, if you want to get knowledge. The ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. David wasn't wise here. A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. We already read that 16 that suggests the likelihood of a bride. But then 17, he that pleadeth his cause first seemeth just. The first one to tell the story seems just. But his neighbor cometh and searcheth him out. Again, instruction to seek, to make search, to ask diligently before coming to a conclusion, a determination. David failed again. Miserably, he failed to do such. He wasn't following the word of God. Poor judgment. Poor judgment. And the scriptures even tell us at the end, uh, later on in Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of kings. These are the words of Solomon, king of Israel. And he probably learned them from his father, David, king of Israel. It is the glory of kings to search out a matter. Kings are expected to search out a matter. Leaders are expected to search out a matter. Judges are expected to search out a matter before they make any pronouncement. And it's their glory to do so. Well, what does that mean if they don't do it? It's to their shame. It's to their shame. The man after God's own heart judged wrongly. He went against God's law. He even went against, frankly, went against common sense to take one story. God gave us, one man has said, God gave us two ears that we might hear both sides. That's quaint, but how true it is. God calls upon us to hear both sides before we make any kind of a determination, before we judge, before we pronounce sentence, if you will. Hearing only one side of the story, David judges against Jonathan's son. This is the problem. We ought to be good hearers. I think we all know that. But I think we fail to do it often. We ought to be good hearers, not simply grand judges like David behaved here in this account. And even James has told us, has he not? And we could all cite this, quote this, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Underline, be swift to hear. Be swift to hear. 
and then maybe go dit, 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 slow to speak, slow to wrath, be swift to hear, hear both sides before you make a discernment. Isn't that the prime cause of many of our failures? Hearing one side. Even in the, even in the occasion of, uh, of commerce, we hear some advertisement, wow, is that good, and we don't check it out. We just go running after to the store and we buy something and then find later that it was a lemon or something. We've only heard one side. We haven't sought diligently. We haven't made any search at all or asked diligently. Be swift to hear. Slow to speak, slow to wrath, but swift to hear always, always. So many times we presume that we've heard enough. Well, we've heard enough. Stop right there, I've heard enough. Here's my judgment. Isn't that arrogance? Isn't that pomp? We declare that our judgment is more important to us than hearing both sides of an account. Is that not what we are declaring? Well, you don't feel that we need to hear more than one account? Our discernment is so wonderful and great that we can make judgment on the basis of one side of a story. We love to hear ourselves talk, don't we? We love to hear ourselves talk, but we're not so good at listening. I think if we examine ourselves, which the scripture calls us to do, that every one of us would admit that we're a whole lot better at talking than we are at hearing. We need to learn to listen, train ourselves, inculcate the habit of listening. Don't always be so rapid to interrupt. Let the other party finish the sentence. So often we're not listening. We're just waiting for the occasion or opportunity to open our mouth. I think we have a warning here to listen, to hear, to be swift to hear. The king pronounces Mephibosheth guilty and gives his land to Ziba. David really messed up. He really messed up. Here he is, coming back, being restored to his throne. He's been humbled by Nathan's pronouncement, Thou art the man! With regard to Bathsheba and Jeriah. Thou art the man. He's been humbled and then humbled again and again as he's been chastened. Being humbled and chastened for sin for the believer doesn't mean that we become perfect. We see David sinning here again. Even as he's brought back. Even after that part of the chastening hand of God has done its all, we might say, has concluded its work. He still sins. What does that tell us about the doctrine that some people hold, the doctrine of absolute perfection being possible in this life? Even after being humbled, even after being chastened for sin, he still makes room for more sin. 
There is no perfection in this life, and that doesn't mean that we have any license to throw up our hands and say, well, why bother? Because God commands us to be holy, even as he is holy. And so we work at it, we work for it, we work toward it. We strive, as one prayed, to be conformed unto the image of Christ Jesus himself. Being called to strive after that does not tell us that we are going to or that anyone is going to attain it in this life. And even as if Ziba was speaking truth, David failed because he never sought a word. He never sought Mephibosheth to find out what he had to say about this. He didn't use his other ear. And David, David himself said later among his last words in chapter 23, these are the last words of David. That chapter begins, he says, that one that ruleth over men must rule righteously and in the fear of God. David wrote that himself. And yet he failed to do it. With Mephibosheth, he failed to do this. Rash judgment. Rash judgment. Was his judgment not rash? Oh, my Lord, my King, Mephibosheth did this. Mephibosheth did that, said that. He wants to be king. He expects this is going to make him be The man is lame, crippled. He couldn't saddle a, a, an ass on his own. Is it even reasonable? That's why I used earlier the, the, the term common sense. Is it even reasonable for Mephibosheth to consider such a thing? But David's judgment is rash. It's hurried. And it's wrong. We find this addressed in Ecclesiastes 5. I think it applies here, although maybe it wasn't the primary intention, but I think it might be that. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, for to draw nigh to hear is better than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they know not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God. Is not God before us all the time? Is he not omniscient Do we and omnipresent? Do we not know that? Do we not gather that? Have we not been taught that? Doesn't have to be in a worship service. We are not to utter rash things, judgments, because it is before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Be not rash with your mouth. David was rash. David was rash. And David failed miserably. David judged wrongly, we will find out. And we read 2 Samuel 19 to you at the beginning, at the outset. David coming back, and Mephibosheth meets him in Jerusalem. And we saw how that he was dressed, or not dressed so well. That he hadn't been taking care of himself physically. He had let his nails grow long, a little bit like Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. He, let his, he hadn't trimmed his beard. 
He hadn't bathed, he hadn't changed his clothes. All those tokens, those Jewish tokens of, of mourning. He was mourning over the condition that the king was brought into. He was mourning over him. David had this eyewitness before himself. Telling him, banging him on the head maybe. Wake up, David. Mephibosheth was mourning over this. And then Mephibosheth gave his explanation, which diametrically contradicted what Ziba had said. In fact, all the, all the, the, the animals and the food actually was likely prepared and everything for Mephibosheth to take to David. And then Ziba got up on the ass and rode off himself with him. Here he is giving David, giving the king supplies, victuals, as they say, and wine and animals for them to ride upon from Mephibosheth's store and presenting them as though they were from Ziba's store. And David believed it. And as he sees Mephibosheth, he says, Wherefore wentest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? Why didn't you come with me? And Mephibosheth explained. And he told him what Ziba had done. And he told him of his desire that he wanted to be with David. He wanted to be with his king. Mephibosheth's appearance conspicuously in mourning with sound explanation. Now what? Now what does David do? What, can you imagine the turmoil in his mind? How do I handle this? I have to admit that there weren't very many writers that answered that question in a way that suited me. Some of them even suggested that Ziba was right that Mephibosheth had actually designed to regain the throne. Some of them suggested that this was all a put on. And they suggest even that when Mephibosheth said, well, let Ziba take all. I'm just happy that you're my king. David doesn't respond properly then either. But he's likely asking himself, even if he's admitting to himself that I goofed, I made a mistake, I've done something wrong, how do I right the wrong now? But it strikes me that he's still considering politics. And Ziba was a lobbyist of sorts, was he not? With all the things that he brought to him. And we just read in Proverbs how that men are swayed, great men are swayed by such things, by gifts from lobbyists. Was David doing only what was convenient or politic? Was David influenced by those gifts? And as I've suggested, did they not really likely belong to Mephibosheth anyway? Now what do I do? Who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? God, only God can make that straight 
which has been made crooked, which we have made crooked. So what is the answer to David's dilemma? He should seek more counsel again, shouldn't he? He should pray for God to straighten this that he's made crooked. We don't see any indication that he does that. He just says, oh, you've said enough. He interrupted here, just like we were talking about the one that doesn't hear. He cuts Mephibosheth off, perhaps in mid-sentence. said, I don't want to hear any more of that. You guys just divide this stuff. Was that sound judgment? Was that fair? Was that right? Did he completely forget about his covenant with Jonathan? Much greater, it seems like he's not thinking much of the covenant God made with him. Where was his brain? Where was his heart? Where was his integrity? What the heck, David? What are you doing? What are you thinking anyway? Or were you thinking at all? How could you do this? Should not Ziba have been punished? according to the law, as a false witness. The law calls for that in Deuteronomy 19. It calls, it prescribes punishment for the false witness. And if we follow that, Deuteronomy 19, we would come to the conclusion, do unto Zeba as he had thought to do to Mephibosheth. You don't divide this stuff. Well, maybe he's half right and you're half right, so I'll just split it up. Divide it. It is possible that it could be interpreted that he, that he was telling them to go back the way it was. Even with that possibility, there's no, we see no castigation of Zeba. We see no punishment for certain. He should have been punished according to God's law. should have taken it all from him and given it to Jonathan's son. Because Ziba should have been punished and not have any part in the picture. Now we understand the motivation of this man after God's own heart. We understand that he would like to reconcile everything he can. Can't we all just get along kind of motive that we see so much in our day? Can't we all just get along? I understand that. But David is supposed to be better than that. He's a king. He's the anointed of God. He's supposed to be better than that. And aren't we kings and priests? And have we not been anointed of God with a new heart? And we're supposed to be better than that too. We do understand. And he forgave Shimei. We saw last week he forgave Shimei. But what did we see with Shimei? Repentance, confession, asking for forgiveness. We don't see anything like that from Ziba. And we don't see David responding in the way that we believe scripture teaches that he should have been dealt with. One has written, before investigating, find no fault. Examine first, then criticize. Before hearing, answer not and interrupt no one in the middle of his speech. 
Set prejudice aside, in other words, don't prejudge. Did David not prejudge? He's king and judge, and he prejudged. This hurts. It hurts me. I'm his namesake. He's my namesake. And it hurts me. I confess that. I, I've, over the years, had this high esteem for David. And again and again and again, we find out he's just a man. Isn't that what we're supposed to learn? That he's just a man? I think there's a problem with human biographies. There's a problem with human biographies. Have you ever been disturbed? For 40 years I've been reading biographies of these wonderful people, these, these pastors, these, these reverends in Scotland, these, uh, all these godly men. And you almost never read anything negative about them. The human author, the human biographer has just conveniently left these things out. But what is the effect on someone that is really concerned about how they're walking before God? How they're seeking to emulate Christ and honor Christ in their walk? Well, I'll tell you how it feels. I'll tell you how it is. It's like, oh my. That's not how I've lived. That's not how I lived yesterday. I did this and I did that and we examine ourselves and so on. We can no way come up to the, to the scale that we see exhibited in these human biographies. And isn't that a blessing that we can look at the biography of David set down by God the Holy Spirit and see no perfection. And again, that's not so that we can take license with sin. God forbid Paul said, God forbid, I say, God forbid, Jesus Christ would say that we go on sinning, that grace may abound. No, but it keeps us from, from hiding under a rock. It keeps us from being depressed all the time, walking around with that little cloud over our head all the time. And it also testifies to us that this is the word of God. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's been written by God, the one who himself is truth. Regarding his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who again is the way and the truth and the life. The glory of kings is to search out a matter. David failed. David didn't behave any better than Potiphar when he took his wife's word about her accusation about Joseph and threw him in jail. This wonderful young man that had been doing so, so wonderfully and, and causing all of Potiphar's goods to increase and be kept safe and everything, and yet he gets one word and he throws him in jail and David didn't do any better. And this the word tells us this is to put thy hand with the wicked in Exodus 23.1. Thou shalt not take up a false report. To not search out diligently, to not inquire, is to go ahead and take up silently a false report. But it's also, the, the scriptures say, it's putting your hand with the wicked. 
David put his hand with Zeba when he responded that way. And we're not to do that. We're not to do that. God grant that we be wise enough by his grace. God grant that we be wise enough to learn from these mistakes of David. And not say, as I've heard many people say over the years, oh, well, nobody's perfect. Well, that's true. But don't make it an excuse. Learn from David's mistakes not to do these things. Learn these lessons from the life of David for your own good, for the church's good, for God's glory. Learn these mistakes that we not fall into them. See the snares ready to trap you and hear. Keep your ear open and your mouth shut more often than we do. Let us pray. Well, Lord our God, we thank thee for thy mercy and grace that we have just heard, read in our hearing by our young brother from Philippians that through Christ Jesus we can do all things. That we can do nothing in our own strength. So we pray with those words resounding in our heads, in our brains. Oh Lord God, help us to be conformed unto thee, we pray. For thy glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd stand for the benediction from Ephesians 3 that prayer of the apostle for this cause I bow my knees unto the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory that ye may be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inward man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith to the end that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be strong to apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye may be filled unto all the fullness of God. Amen.